let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on the Monday evening where we are, well, ready, set, go to finish our study on the book of Genesis. By the end of tomorrow, as promised last week, we will be done with our study that started all the way back on November 6th of last year. So tomorrow's October 16th. Basically, our verse-by-verse study on the book of Genesis took a whole year. Uh, This is program number 87, or if you're listening to this by way of podcast, podcast number 87. So so overall, by the end of tomorrow, we will have had 88 programs on the book of Genesis. And I suppose this is just what happens when you go through a book that has 50 chapters verse by verse, right? 50 chapters verse by verse. And it really has been a joy for me to journey with you in this study. Now, some of you out there have asked, Joe, where where are you going to go next? I don't know. I am incubating on that right now. I have a number of different ideas in what I want to do. Uh, And so do please pray for me. I would greatly appreciate that. Just not for Monday and Tuesday, but just more generally, our Monday to Thursday Seeds of Truth uh, programming and podcasting. So please do pray for me. All right. So with that, let us jump back into the book of Genesis chapter 50. And again, it is my plan to wrap up with All of these verses in chapter 50, which will hopefully then give me the time tomorrow to just offer up my conclusions and, as promised last week, respond to some of your questions as it relates to the book of Genesis. So, in this 11th hour, if you still have any of those questions that have been burning on your heart, please don't hesitate to send them my way. As always, you know, you can go to jholljmj at yahoo.com or you can go to my website at joholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message, observation, question on its way. Okay, so if you can turn to chapter 50, and I will go ahead and start with verses 15 to 21. Verses 15 to 21, which is about Joseph forgiving his brother. So the brunt of this evening, my friends, is going to have us re-engaging some of that subject matter on forgiveness and forgiving offenses willingly, how important that is, how central, really, that is to the Christian and Catholic life. All right, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil which he did to him, which we did to him. Wait, let's just stop there for a second. (laughs) I mean, think about everything we have already read as it relates to Joseph, how he wept with them. And still yet, these brothers think that Joseph might hate them. Right now, I think this speaks to a whole lot, to the least of which they have still yet to really encounter Joseph for who he is. And so in these last verses... God affords these brothers to encounter him one more time at his most deepest core. All right, verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, 
Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now we pray, forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came, and how about this, fell down before him. One last, one final realization of Joseph's dream. Remember that dream going all the way back to chapter 37, verses 7 to 9, where we read about the great prophecy, the great dream of Joseph, that his brothers would fall down before him. There was a fulfillment of that back in chapter 42 and also chapter 43. And here, one last final time, his brothers also came and fell down before him. It's almost as if, my friends, that all that is fulfilled is done so perfectly in humility, right? The humility of requesting forgiveness. Hmm. All right, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? Bit of a rhetorical question there, huh? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he reassured them and comforted them. All right. So as I noted, I wanted to take one of our final nights together to talk about forgiveness and how, why, maybe better said, this is such an important spiritual work of mercy. We certainly have talked about forgiveness before, but what we have in Joseph in these closing verses is really an extraordinary example of merciful love, is it not? And we could also say one that foreshadows Christ, in particular in those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our Lord reminds us that forgiveness is without condition, because love itself is not conditioned. Okay, we are to never allow another person's weakness to dictate how we love. I think this is one of the problems today, certainly in today's political climate and rhetoric and, and I dare say conversations, if there's such a conversation anymore, I don't know. There's a whole lot of monologues, not dialogues. But we allow another person's weakness to dictate how we love. And I think that's one of the great tragedies of today. I don't mean to put this out at arm's length, because this really is an extraordinary challenge for each and every one of us. And I'll be the first to say, my friends, that I have failed in this area. I have allowed another person's weakness to dictate my sorrows. Okay, so this is something we need to think about as it relates to forgiveness. Joseph did not allow another person's weakness, his brothers, all those around him, to determine his fate, to determine his actions, to, to determine who he was. So neither should you or I. Hmm? Now, to forgiveness. As I've noted before, and as I've highlighted Mark 2, 7 and noting it, we are to remember that forgiveness is a divine act, which is essentially the fruit of our participation in the redemptive love of Christ. Joseph would be the first to tell you that he was able to forgive because of his faithfulness, that the power of God was with him, that it was the power of God in him restoring him, bringing him to full righteousness and holiness. For ourselves, 
We are called to pardon our brother or sister in Christ and our enemy and to forgive ourselves after we have repented. My friends, the act of forgiveness, we should always remember, is an outgrowth of our very life in Christ. What's more, forgiveness awakens the power of Christian love, which, my friends, by its very nature, draws us deeper into the mystery of the cross. Every act of forgiveness is to be united to the suffering death of Christ, actuated in union with Christ on the cross. My focus on the cross, as it should be our focus on the cross, is as such because Christ's death on the cross is the barometer by which we measure forgiveness. So, being resolved to forgive is very much a part of our sharing in Christ's merciful love. But a resolve that is the fruit of a heart that has first received mercy, right? Resolve always comes out from that which has been already received, the power of Christ living within us. Incidentally, as I'm speaking to the word resolve, where does that word come from? It comes from the Latin resolutio, huh? Which literally translates as to loosen. Why do we say after we go to confession that we feel lighter? Well, because quite literally, <laughs> we have been loosened from our slavery to sin. We feel lighter. Now, I was exploring this point in my book, A Heart for Evangelizing. And in the book, I, I say that we have to be careful to expect forgiveness from others. What do I mean? Well, in many cases, the heart of the offended needs time to heal before the person can forgive the offender. At times, I have found myself in circles where the process of forgiveness and reconciliation has stalled because of the brashness that comes with expectation. If we are the individual who has wronged someone, we must pray that God work on the heart of the one who has been hurt and let God put the broken pieces back together. Huh? We have to be careful to not let our expectations get in the way of God's work. What have I said about that before? Expectation leads to disappointment. Disappointment leads to resentment. And resentment breeds anger. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus came into this world as the divine physician. And we must allow him to perform divine surgery. You know, we read of Joseph's immediate response to the brother's petition to be forgiven. And, and what does he do? He immediately forgives. Now, this is the heart of a saintly man. But if we place this before every act slash request to be forgiven, we might just get frustrated at the result. Not everyone has a saintly heart like that of Joseph. Yeah, on our end, we should espouse towards that kind of heart. But be careful of what you expect. Be humble. Now, what else could be said about forgiveness? Well, as a gift to be received from God, forgiveness, again, is a work of God within us. And let us really ponder that truth. Okay, it is a divine act. It is a sharing, a participation in the redemptive love of Christ. A work of God within us. Where God is transforming our heart. Where God acts to free us from all of the, the poisonous effects of bitterness and grief. That so often accompany the harm that was inflicted upon us. You see, my friends, once we allow God in... Once we allow God to begin the work of transforming our heart, the grief over time begins to dissipate. Time is our ally if we let God in. Here, 
so often I like to consider and kind of compare and contrast the Kairos and Kronos moments. Kairos defined as God's time, Kronos defined as man's time. Kairos is grace time. Kronos is that time we put into our iPads and our calendars. Once we allow God's grace, purpose-driven time, to penetrate and permeate our sense of everyday life in Kronos, then, then things will begin to change. And it's important to reflect upon time because forgiveness is also a letting go of the need to change the past. I mean, imagine the kind of bitterness and grief that might have been welling up in the heart and man of Joseph if in all those days, weeks, and months he was in prison, he let time get the best of him. No, he is a model for us in how to let go of the past, the need to change the past. Obviously, we cannot change the past. We cannot change what has happened. No, we all too easily think that ruminating over past hurts will somehow change what has happened or even maybe get back at the other person. But brothers and sisters, you and I both know it will not. Clinging to our hurt and anger will accomplish nothing. Understandable though it may be, and, and Lord knows I've been there with you, it only harms us. Joseph knew this all too well. What's interesting in the narrative of Joseph, as highlighted by our reading this evening, is that he saw his persecution as a necessity for a greater good. Very much like Christ on the cross and bringing about salvation, huh? And I've got to believe that this was part of what drove Joseph's forgiveness. Once he saw God's larger plan, he, he would embrace all that came his way, which included the embrace of his brothers, huh? Joseph was all the more free because of his embrace of those who persecuted him. So too, you and I, brothers and sisters, will be free if by the grace of God dwelling within us, we might be able to actually forgive, move forward. Could we not say that forgiveness is first for us, more so than for other? What do I mean? Well, in calling us to forgive, is not God offering us the gift to be free of a great deal of that poison and of a costly emotional state that robs us of joy and, and robs us of our strength? You know, we carry the anger and hurt in our hearts. And sometimes I wonder if it's, if it's like carrying around a thousand pounds of weight. What a relief it is to just be free of that weight. I think we all know what we're talking about here. And this is what God offers when he gives us the grace to forgive, to let go of the need to change the past, to, to let go of the desire for others to suffer because of what they have done to us. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible... So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So forgiving is a work of mercy towards ourselves. As I've noted in the past on this topic, <laughs> nursing grudges, brothers and sisters, does it not sap us of our strength? Does it not vex us to no end? Receiving the gift to forgive is a mercy for us since we are relieved of these burdens. Now our strength and energy can be directed to other, better things. This is why we say forgiveness is first for us. We are now better able to love and be available to others. The one thing 
that gets me when I have been hurt, when something has been done to me, is how I allow it to get the best of me. And it preoccupies my time anywhere and everywhere. I marinate in it. I churn it over again and again and again in my mind. And in my mind saying all these things that I want to say to this person or that person, as opposed to, to letting God in and transform my mind. And at the same time, certainly transforming my heart. Now, of course, forgiving injuries is also work of mercy to the one who has harmed us. Why? Because it can restore to them a relationship with us that is important to them. It is a great gift to offer mercy and pardon to one who has harmed us and seeks our forgiveness because, yes, it does bring about great unity. My friends, while in moments of grave harm it might be difficult to access, I really want to encourage you to pray for this gift, this gift that we see in spades in this last, final, concluding chapter of the book of Genesis in Joseph. Almost nothing is more poisonous, both to us and others, than festering anger and resentment. So certainly we could say forgiving injuries is a great, if not the greatest, healing gift to receive from God. You know, alongside of Joseph's heroism within the Catholic Church, we have a great number of models to learn from. And the young St. Maria Gretti is certainly one of those examples St. Maria Gretti is unique in that she is the youngest canonized saint in the church. She died tragically on July 6, 1902 at the age of 11. As far as her story goes, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, maybe just a thumbnail sketch. When Maria was nine, her father died tragically. And so it fell to her at the time to raise her five siblings while her mother worked the fields to produce the crops with which they would both pay the rent and feed themselves. As you can well imagine, this was a terrible time of trial and suffering for the whole family. And for Maria, it was especially difficult. Aside from having the responsibility of caring for her family, she also had to cook and clean for her two next-door neighbors, one of which was a man by the name of Alessandro, who assisted her mother with the farm tasks. It was also during this time that Alessandro began to develop an impure liking for Maria and over time would say rude and crude things to her, things that were inappropriate, things that were embarrassing. And as the story has been told, this would cause her to run away. However, at a certain point, he began to make direct sexual advances upon her, demanding her virginity and threatening her with violence for noncompliance. Finally, after many months of this, Alessandro forced himself upon Maria in an attempt to rape her. Though she prevented him from violating her, Alessandro brutally stabbed her numerous times. And as many of us know, Maria died the next day in the midst of horrendous infection brought on by her lacerations. Again, this was in 1902, right? The very beginning of the 20th century. Now, in an extraordinary act <laughs> of merciful forgiveness, these were her last words. I forgive Alessandro Serenelli, and I want him with me in heaven forever. What an act of forgiveness. What a, an act of prayer from a pure 11-year-old. And as the story goes, during his prison sentence, 
Maria appeared to Alessandro and forgave him. That act of mercy and forgiveness, that act of love, my friends, filled Alessandro with extraordinary contrition for his crime. And as you can well imagine, it was a turning point for him where grace entered his heart. So from that point on, Alessandro Serenelli lived a beautiful and converted life of holiness. Eventually, incredibly so, becoming a Franciscan lay brother. You see the power of forgiveness, my friends? From Joseph all the way up to today, reconciliation brings about unity. This is the great truth that comes to us from the cross. That for every cross in our life, for every trial, for, for every suffering, could and by the grace of God should be an opportunity to draw closer not only to God, but also in the case of being harmed, reconciliation with our brother or sister in Christ. Conflict is a means to unity. And this, again, is what not only the cross teaches us, but certainly what is so beautifully illustrated in the story of Joseph, what Joseph teaches us. All right, speaking of Joseph, let us conclude our final verses of our final chapter. Verse 22, So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he in his father's house, and Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath of the sons of Israel, saying, God will visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And here again, the embalming is mummification, right? This is what the Egyptians did. We are, I think, familiar with this. All right, so what can we say by way of final words to these final verses? Well, Joseph's life was but full at the age of 110. Huh? He lived long enough to hold his great-great-grandsons on his knees. Knowing that the day of his death drew near, Joseph, like Jacob, charged his brothers concerning his burial. He did not wish his body to be carried back to Canaan, as Jacob had insisted, but elsewhere. Now, while the burial of Jacob and Joseph are quite different, they are both reflective of the same faith and hope. What do I mean? Well, both believed that Israel's blessings in the future would be realized in the land of the promise, right? Jacob saw that his body could be carried on a long journey to Canaan by his sons. Joseph saw that his body could wait for the exodus in which time his bones would be returned. Returned to Canaan, born by the Israelites. What do we read in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19? And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God shall surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. So there's really a fascinating point and points to be had when you put these two deaths of Jacob and Joseph side by side. 
Jacob's death occasioned a journey to Canaan, where the Israelites once again beheld the land of promise to which they and their offspring would return at the Exodus, right? In other words, the burial of Jacob reminded his descendants of their final home and that Egypt was only a place of sojourn, huh? Joseph, on the other hand, was a continual reminder that someday the exodus would occur. Day after day in Egypt, that coffin spoke of Israel's future and Joseph's faith. And day after weary day, the Israelites trudged through the wilderness carrying the casket of Joseph. So we could say both men, Jacob and Joseph, determined that their death and burial would be a kind of testimony to their faith and, and, and really stimulus to the faith of their offspring. What am I talking about here, my friends? But is this not the power of those who give their life for Christ? Every Christian and Catholic will tell you that when someone lays down their life for Christ, that final act of heroism is one that constantly cries out from the grave and breeds new hope, new life. To look back at a life, a life well lived, and see it receive a crown, a crown of martyrdom can be a very powerful thing. Uh, this is why in the early church, Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church because the church expanded, grew stronger, in the light of those who had gone before them, those who laid down their life for their faith. That kind of testimony can be extremely powerful, just not to those who witness it, but for future generations. Joseph's faith, hopefully, my friends, speaks to us today in a profound, profound way. We ought to be moved by how this man surrendered himself to be at the service of God. If there's one point I have reinforced again and again and again over the course of the last year on this study in the book of Genesis is that we see a whole heck of a lot of human nature in this book. And there are many lessons to be learned. Human nature is human nature. And there's a whole lot of truth in human nature that is not subject to time. So whether it's 3,500 years or five years, it's the same, human nature. And when a man overcomes his deficiencies in his nature and rises up, we should be inspired. And hopefully by the grace of God, Joseph inspires us. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.